You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Are you looking for a great way to make new connections and spread your wings? Revel is a new kind of social platform exclusively for women over 40, where you can do just that. With virtual and in real life events, authentic conversations, and no ads, Revel is the community site exclusively designed for like-minded, fabulous, fun women in midlife. Learn more and join for free at hellorevel slash flaunt. That's hello, R-E-V is in Victor, E-L, dot com slash flaunt come join us it's nourishing and super fun hello welcome to flaunt find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal i'm laura Cheadle, and yes i was betrayed by my husband and we have stayed together and our marriage right now is happier and healthier than it ever was before. Now, as a coach and as a public figure who talks openly about the infidelity and the betrayal, one of the questions I get asked most frequently is, why did you stay together? Why are you still here? And what's really interesting about that is, oftentimes when people ask that, It's kind of with a presumption of, or some people have said it out loud, wow, you're a strong, smart, capable woman. Why are you doing this? You are crazy. And that's what I wanted to address today. I wanted to talk about why I stayed. I want to go deep and open (laughs) and be very vulnerable about all of the reasons why I stayed, what it means to stay, and just kind of walk you through that whole process for me. Why? Because, because I think it's important for you to understand how important decisions are not that easily made for you to see my thought process and how I went back and forth and just to have a greater level of understanding for yourself, for others in your life who may or may not be in a similar situation. So as a quick recap, my husband and I had been married 23 years at the time. When I found out that he had been cheating on me with five different women over the course of 15 years. Now, what was a little bit stunning (laughs) about that was I had no idea ever because I thought we had a pretty good marriage. Yes, we fought about things. Yes. We had things that we could just never see eye to eye on, but I always felt like we loved each other. At the end of the day, metaphorically and literally, 
we would come together and we would just feel love for each other. We wanted the same things in life. We wanted to create the same kind of lifestyle. And there were so many things that we were just on the same page with. So when I found out, I was truly devastated. I couldn't understand how it could happen or why I didn't know because I'm a very intuitive person. And it made no sense why he would do that when things overall felt pretty good and pretty solid and very stable between us. So when I found out, I found out about one woman first. And when I found out about that one woman, I had that knee jerk, you are out of here reaction. I thought that's not who I am. I am a strong, smart, capable person. I have given my all to being the perfect wife, to raising your kids, to being the perfect mom, to doing everything that I could to support you and your career, and you treat this me like this. I am done. So sure enough, he packed up and he left after the first one because I was mad. Then I found out about another one. And I was even more angry. The second one I found out about was a long-term affair. The first one I found out about was a maybe year-long affair. But what was interesting about both of these affairs is he didn't have continued, sustained contact with them. They, the first one was an affair where they got together once. They texted and they had lunch a couple times, but they actually got together once. So it was like, well, that's kind of odd. The second affair had lasted probably 15 years but they had only gotten together seven or eight times in all of those 15 years. So it was just kind of weird. And I started thinking, this doesn't, like, am I mad? Yes, I'm still furious. But it started to confuse me more than anything else. Why why would you do this? What is the benefit of this? How, how can having a long distance, quote unquote, relationship and affair, how can that serve you? That's so strange. Then I found out about the third, the fourth, the fifth. And at that point, I got really confused. And that was when I started being willing to not work on it, because I'm not sure if I was really willing to work on it at the beginning. But it was one of those things where I was like, I don't understand. And I'm really curious. And instead of feeling the rage that I felt early on, I felt at a loss. And when I felt at a loss, I felt like I needed more information. And the only person I could get that information from was him. So that's when I kept reaching out. We kept having some conversations. He had moved out. We were done. I was over it. But I kept reaching out. What was going on with this? Why did you do that then? And he would give me the information. 
yes, we were seeing a marriage counselor at that time. Yes, we were also seeing individual counselors at that time. And yes, we were continuing to talk because we had a life together. We have kids together. We have, you know, a home, all of that. And I was hurt. So I was the one that kind of kept reaching out to get more information. And he kept providing me the information, which was really nice. So that kept me in the game because he kept providing me with information and I kept understanding a little bit more. So he would give me something. I would, sure, I would rage or I would cry or I would do whatever, but it kept me in the game because I kept getting more information. At that time, I was not thinking that we were repairing our marriage or not repairing our marriage. I was thinking that I was gaining understanding. The idea of are we staying or are we not staying did not cross my mind. I was in survival mode. And for me, survival mode meant understanding. And who better to get understanding from than the person who hurt you and who was intimately involved in all of those acts. As I continued to get more information from him, we continued to move forward with kind of figuring things out. And again, I don't think a lot of it was thought out by either of us. It's just that we kept moving forward. As I started learning, the reason he had affairs was because he was in pain. Affairs are very rarely about sex. They're actually usually not about sex. They're about validation. Sometimes they're about power and control. But an affair is a tool that the cheating person uses to make themselves feel better, to ease their pain. Not necessarily feel better in like, woohoo, I can have my cake and eat it too. That's kind of a misperception about affairs. Most often, the cheating partner has a deep emotional wounding, a deep emotional pain, and they're trying to use the affair to make themselves feel better. So as I'm learning this, and as he's discovering this about himself, it just kept me in the game. Now, Early on, when I would say things like, how could you do this to me? And why did you do this? And blah, 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 blah. Early on, his response was something like, because you're a bitch. Because you hurt me. Because you never cared. Because you made me do it. And you know, those are conversation stoppers. When that would happen, I would get out of the game. Because that is setting it up for a fight. There's no answer to that. No, I did not cause it. No, I did not make you do this. So during those moments, I don't know how I realized that he was just hurt when he was saying that. Through the grace of God, through the grace of something, in those moments, it was very easy for me to just disengage. We're not playing ball. We're not dancing because those are not real answers. That's an excuse and that's a deflection. And I don't know where, you know, like I said, that came from. If it was with help from the counselors, if it was truly grace of God, what it was. But I was very able to walk away when responses like that kept happening. 
At some point along the line, fairly early on, I had this realization. And the realization was, this is ruining me. This is hurting me. This has upended my entire life. I never thought that I would be this woman. I never thought I would be here. I was strong, smart, educated, engaged. I did all the things. And it's not that I did all the things in order to prevent having an affair, but I did all the things that I thought would make a good marriage. And yet, I ended up here anyway. And it made me mad, and it made me angry, and it made me hurt. And I realized, this is why some people end up as bitter old ladies. This is why some people end up as, you know, man-haters or toxic women. And I had this sense of understanding, like, wow, I get it. I get it now. I get how people can be so broken and damaged and hurt that they just move into that bitterness and that resentfulness and that hate and how it ruins the rest of their life. And that's when it hit me that I don't want to be a bitter old lady. I don't want to be a man hater. I don't want to be this toxic, you know, female out there hating on men. And I have two sons. Men are not bad. My sons are not bad. I'm a trusting, open, happy person. And I want to stay a trusting, happy, open person. Yes, I can learn. Maybe not be as trusting. Maybe have firmer boundaries. Maybe not be as open, but I still value being a joy-filled person. And that it's up to me to guide what happens to myself during this experience. I was victimized. Yes, I was totally victimized. I was victimized by his actions, by his choice. I was in this position through no fault of my own. I did everything possible to prevent it, yet here I was. And what was I going to do with that? It was a poop sandwich. And what was I going to do with this poop sandwich? And I really had that realization that truly the choice was mine. The choice was mine about what I did with that. And during the conversations, when my husband was deflecting and pushing it back on me and blaming me, there was no conversation. There was no relationship that we are not moving forward. But like I said, somewhere along the line, during those conversations, I realized how I had spent so many years taking care of everybody else and not me. How I had put all of my needs and wants on the back burner and how it was time for me to really step up, to spend money on myself, to spend time on myself. And that although it's nice sometimes to be like, I don't care, you pick the restaurant, that when I cared, I should speak up and I should say it. That I was perfectly capable of advocating for myself at home with my family And that this notion that I had in my head that a good wife sacrifices, that a good wife does everything for everybody else, was actually harmful. And not only to myself, 
but really to my husband and to my kids as well. So I started taking care of myself. I started asking myself simple questions like, what do you want to eat? What do you want to eat, Laura? What do you want to do right now? What do you want to watch on TV? What do you want to read? What does your body need right now? What do you need? And as simple as that might sound, it was profound. Because for the past 23 years, I had only existed in relation to my husband. Now, not that I was this totally self-sacrificing, you know, doormat. I was a lawyer. I was strong. I was smart. I did a lot of powerful things. And yet... I always kept him front and center because I thought that's what a good wife did. Because his income was our primary source of income when I first went part-time and then eventually walked away from my corporate job and started working part-time for myself. I always prioritized him, his needs, and his schedule. And I had done it slowly over the years so that I hadn't really recognized how much I had lost myself. So for me to start asking myself simple questions like, what do you want to eat and what do you want to do and who do you want to call? It was a pretty profound shift. And at first I felt very lost and almost selfish doing that. Why am I figuring out what I want Shouldn't I be taking care of somebody else? And it was a shift. But as part of that shift, one of the things that I realized was I have relied on Sean, my husband, for 23 years of marriage, for four years of dating and friendship. I have relied on him to comfort me, to take care of me, to talk through things with me. And even though he's the person that hurt me, he's the one that I want to talk to. He's the one that I want to comfort me. And for purely selfish reasons, I would reach out to him and I would say, I'm having a horrible day. I need you to come comfort me. And he was willing to do that. He would drive from the hotel that he was living in and he would come over to our house and he would do what I asked. He would make me dinner, he'd clean up, he would hold me while I cried, And one day I said, I need you to bring me ice cream, and then I need you to tuck me into bed. And sure enough, he brought me ice cream. I cried. He listened. He held space. And he tucked me into bed. And he said, can I sleep in the guest room? And I said, no, I need you to leave. And he said, okay. And he looked down at me and he said, I need you to know none of this is your fault. I am completely broken. I am so bad. I don't know what I did, but none of this is your fault. And then he walked away and he went to his apartment. That was a huge turning point. That was the first time that I thought consciously about, oh, I am going to stay. Before it was just survival. 
And he was a person that could help me survive. He was the person with the information, with the key. But when he said that, that's the first time I consciously thought, hey, I can, I can do this. He can do this. And I think I'm going to stay. I think I'm going to see if we can work things out. After that, I found us a weekend affair recovery program that was amazing that we went to. And the affair recovery program was specifically focused on understanding each other and understanding where things went wrong, where you miscommunicated, what was really going on with each partner. And again, the understanding got deeper. And the more that I understood what was going on with him, and the more I understood who I was, what my beliefs around being a good wife were, and what I had done to contribute. I never did anything wrong. I did not cause the affair. But some of my behaviors and attitudes were contributing factors to why a person in his situation might make some of the choices and decisions that he did. The more I started understanding that, the more I had compassion. First, I had compassion for him. I had a lot of compassion for him because in our situation, him choosing an affair was a desperate call for attention to ease his pain. It was a desperate cry for help that he was not feeling good emotionally, mentally, psychologically, and that he didn't know what else to do, and that he thought these women would validate him, him as a masculine tough, strong, successful man. It was whenever whenever he would feel this intense vulnerability and shame and confusion and pain in his life, he would reach out to have an affair to prop up his self-esteem. Now, I felt compassion for that and I understood that because I could look back too at the places and times in our marriage and in our life where things were tough. He lost his brother, who is his best friend, due to cancer. He's a former foster child and severely abused child who grew up in a lot of poverty. Careers are always tough. You know, we went through the mortgage crisis. We went through having two kids with some sensory integration issues and some, you know, neuro difficulties. So I could understand that. And yes, I went through them too. I hear you saying, Laura, who cares? He still did this to you. You still went through those tough times too. Yes. And one of my favorite phrases was, there but for the grace of God go I. And I would think, yeah, I felt insecure too. I gained weight having babies. I felt useless. I felt confused. I felt old, fat, ugly, not good enough. And I didn't make that choice. And I didn't make that choice because, not because I had a better moral code, 
not because I was a better person, but because I was graced with a pretty darn good childhood. I had the benefit of an incredibly aware mom who was always very emotionally responsive to me. I was blessed with food on the table. I didn't have to switch schools 14 times. I had a group of friends. I was thankful and blessed and lucky that my upbringing, that my childhood, that my financial situation was stable enough that when pushed, when I faced difficulties, I had resources and I had tools. And he didn't. And that's not something that I could blame him for. And by the same token, it's not an excuse. It's just what it is. The golden center of flaunt, my work, my betrayal recovery is all around the acronym flaunt, F-L-A-U-N-T. And A-U, the golden center of flaunt, stands for accepting unconditionally. And that's what that was about. I had to accept unconditionally that he stands where he stands. I stand where I stand. He made the choices he made, and I made the choices I made. And that my choices never hurt my soul. And that it was up to me if I allowed his choices to hurt my soul or not. And looking back over the course of both of our lives, and how we had been pushed and the responses to us being pushed that we made. I truly felt like his choices damaged his soul and that they did not damage mine. And I felt compassion and understanding for that. Once I moved into that, it could have been easy to go into pity or to feeling better than him. From there, I moved into self-compassion. My, the things that I did that contributed to the affair were martyr myself, sacrifice myself, put everybody's needs before me. I did all of those things and they contributed to the affair. And that is a whole show in and of itself. But I would see what I did wrong. And wrong is such a subjective word, but I would see how the more perfect I would pretend to be on the outside, the more threatening he would feel on his inside. As I was pulling it all together, as I kept saying, oh, it's all perfect and I can do it and this is great, that would threaten him because he would feel like he couldn't authentically be himself and express his sadness and his pain and his confusion. So I really had to humble myself to what I did. And at the same time, he was humbling himself to what he did. So we kept rolling forward. So why did I stay? Because it just kept rolling forward. And he kept doing the work. And I kept doing the work. And I would have an understanding about myself. And I would go to him and I would say, oh my God, I am horrified. I understand how 
my behavior, me saying this, would bring up so much shame in you, and I never saw that before. Like, sometimes I would say things like, oh my God, could you imagine having a parent who did that? Could you imagine living in a trailer like that and having no electricity and no running water? And can you imagine? And it would almost be like me in my privileged existence being shocked. Oh my God, people can live like that. Well, he had lived like that. And it was me being very unsensitive to that, but I didn't even realize how unsensitive I was being. And instead of talking to me and saying, you know what, Laura, (laughs) as you recall, I lived in a burned out trailer, not like a trailer home, a trailer trailer with no water, with no electricity, with nothing, with no food. And if you recall, I was left for a summer and pretty much had to survive So yes, I can imagine. And to me, your attitude feels a little arrogant, a little privileged, and it hurts my feelings because it makes me not feel good enough. Now, had he said that, I could have learned, he could have learned, and we could have grown together. But instead, he would get defensive and shut me out or say something really snarky to put himself back on top. So I would come to him and I would say, ah, I see things so differently now. And I am so ashamed that I was not sensitive enough to understand that. And instead of blaming me, he would extend that compassion back to me and would say, it's okay. How would you know? You never went through that. And I never told you how your comments made me feel. I never told you that you hurt my feelings. I never told you that when you would just be really good with the kids, it would threaten me because I didn't know how to do that. I never told you, so how would you know it's okay? I love you, and now that we know, we can talk about it. There were hundreds of examples like that that we went through that first year. That first year, we unpacked so much. It was crazy. Now, I want to be clear, too. I stayed because we continued to unpack. I stayed because he continued to have insight. I stayed because I continued to have insight. Were there moments where we defaulted to our own behaviors and went to protect ourselves? Yes. There were moments where I think, oh, my God, I have just wasted three months or six months. He is never going to change. I can't believe how stupid I was. And I would feel really hopeless. And I'd think he's back to the old Sean. He's back to his old behavior. But within a week, he would come and apologize. And we would move forward again. Or I would come and apologize. And, you know, it was hard for me. Because I think you're the one that started this. You're the one that made the bigger mistake. Why am I apologizing to you about checking up on something um, on our credit card bill and approaching you in a harsh way? Why am I apologizing? You did the really bad thing, which was ego. But I would swallow my pride and I would apologize. 
and it would continue to move things forward. And yes, we were both very tenuous because we had to trust each other in the process. And we had to maintain that perfect balance of continuing to do our own work and to getting to know ourselves on a more deep level. Continuing to get to know each other in a new, a fresh, and beautiful way. While knowing that at any point in time, either one of us could say, forget this. I'm out of here. This is too much work. And yeah, it was a lot of work. But we just kept moving forward. And I think that's the thing that I really want to communicate. Why did I stay? Because it just kept working out. There was always more. One of the things that we learned in the affair recovery retreat that we went to was how to do an Imago dialogue. An Imago dialogue summed up, there's, there's a lot of great stuff, but it's a very slow, almost stilted way of talking. And what it does is it really helps you rewire your brain, rewire your nervous system. So it gets you out of that state of fight, flight, or freeze, and into a very regulated state where you can actually hear what the other person is saying. Because you're listening to understand, you're not listening to respond. You're not listening to defend. You're not listening to make the other person wrong. You're listening to truly understand. And how it goes, just roughly, and I'll, I'll, I'll put some links in the show because it's, it's a fantastic tool, but it's parroting back, mirroring back what the person said in your words, and then saying, did I get that right? So the person can say, yes, that's exactly it, or gosh, no, I didn't explain that very clearly, or you didn't get that very clearly, but there's, there's a slight mismatch in what I'm trying to communicate. And then being able to re-clarify, and then re-ask until you have found that meeting of the minds, that common understanding. And then the last step of the Imago Dialogue is asking, or the second to last, second to last step, is asking, is there more? And asking, is there more, really sums up why I stayed. Because there was always more. There was always more. We would actually resolve something. And then there would always be something more. Not always something more to unearth and to look at differently and to heal, but there was always something more. Do you want to go to this concert together? Oh my gosh, yes. We concert great together. Do you want to go to this event together? Yes, this is our event. Do you want to hike together? Yes, we're fantastic hikers. Do you want to go travel together? Yes, he's the best travel partner I've had. So there was always something more that was keeping us together on the enjoyment end, as well as always something more to unearth that would provide such a sense of satisfaction and relief when we figured it out. You know, people say, wasn't it hard? And it was like, yes, it was painfully hard. And working through 
those 23 years of our marriage, (laughs) really over one year's time, was so satisfying. It was hard, yes. It was exhausting, yes. It was emotional, yes. It required us to really face some hard truths about ourselves, to be very vulnerable, to admit all of the things that we did wrong. But oh my goodness, it was so satisfying. So often, I would liken it to, you know, a movie or a book where things are just going wrong, but you, as the neutral third-party observer, know that these people should be together at the end. Because you know there's just a series of misunderstandings and kind of comical things that have gotten in the way, but you, as that third-party observer, know the truth. And the more we would unearth the more we both would know the truth. And that truth kept leading us back to each other. Hence, the fun. Now, it's entirely possible that that truth could have led us away from each other too. And that's something that we talked about. And our commitment was not to save our marriage. I don't think the commitment should ever be to save your marriage. I think the commitment should be to keep moving forward. And our commitment was to keep moving forward in integrity and with honesty. And that nothing would be held back. And if at the end of the day we realized, you know what, we have truly grown apart, that that was okay, that we would know it. We would know then that we were done. And if what got unearthed was that we wanted to stay together, then we would continue to work for that too. So that was the process. We continue to unearth, we continue to understand. And the more we unearthed and the more we understand, the more satisfaction and joy we got at that process. And then the more it'd be like, hey, I want to be with you. I don't have to be with you. I want to be with you. We are really good together. And that's how that process worked. Now, why did I stay? I stayed because it kept working. I stayed because it kept reinforcing our love. It kept reinforcing our understanding. And also, I truly feel like for the first time, we have the kind of marriage that we both always wanted. When we got married, we were young, we met in law school, and we were like the power couple. You know, and when you're this young power couple, you want to be the best for each other. Well, our idea of being the best for each other was just like being the best and not moving into our shadow and not moving into our vulnerabilities and not holding space for each other in that kind of a way. We tended to cheerlead each other along. Do more, do better, you've got this. You're an achiever, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And although it didn't really feel like toxic positivity, looking back on it, some of it kind of was toxic positivity. He would always tell me, do do a better job, do a better job, and be like, yeah, go out there, get a raise, get a better career, do this. And it's just toxic. And it doesn't allow for two people to be truly people. And it was all about validating our rightness, 
validating how correct our positions were. And since we're both very strong people, it's not surprising that too often we would have different opinions. And what we would seek is for the other person to validate our opinion when they were different opinions, instead of moving into a state of calm or peace or vulnerability and just being like, I understand why you feel that way. And you understand why I feel this way. And then we can both be at peace because we both understand each other. So since the affairs, since D-Day, that's what we have built together. We have built that kind of intimacy where we care more about understanding why the other person thinks a certain way instead of caring that that person thinks the same way we do or having each other validate the rightness and the correctness of our positions. It's much less ego-driven and it's very vulnerable and naked and raw. And on top of that, I know the worst in him. He knows the worst in me. And there is such peace in knowing that somebody has been through something and that it's over. People will say, how can you trust him after that? Why would you stay with a cheater? Once a cheater, always a cheater, blah, 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 blah. At this point, I know the worst that he's done. And I've seen what it did to him. And I've seen his tears. And he's seen mine. And because we understand each other at a deeper level, it would be much harder to go back. Could a person cheat again? Yes. But he has clawed his way out of that state of depression and hopelessness and vulnerability and shame. And for him to go back to that place, he would really have to go back to being kind of a different person. After unearthing everything, after being so raw, after being so vulnerable, to slip back, to be that low vibe, would be very difficult for him. Having affairs actually was painful for him. It was not this joy-filled thing. It was painful for him. And he talks about that. And I understand that. So would he go back to that old person? Anything is possible, but no. Not while we continue to talk like this, to support like this, to truly love like this. No, he's not going to go back. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't also mention it was just, it's not easier. What we went through was not easier. Divorcing is hard. Staying married is hard. It's just different kinds of hards. Was it a factor that we have two kids together, that we had a house together, that we had at the time two dogs and a cat and a turtle together? Of course. Is it easier financially? Yes. Um, am I able to you know, live a lifestyle that I want? Yes. But we had worked hard at building our life together, at doing our finances together. We had worked hard at all of this. And yeah, practically speaking, who wants to lose all of that? Who wants to walk away from that? 
So to say that that wasn't a factor is a lie. Of course, it's a factor. It's easier to stay married. Was it a driving force? No. Am I able to walk away at any time? Yes. Is he able to walk away at any time? Yes. Will we figure it out? Yes. Can we divide finances? Yes. Our kids are old enough. Parenting time wouldn't even be an issue anymore. But it's just that there's more to uncover. It always, to me, felt like it's not the end of the story. So why did you stay? Because the story's not done. Why did you stay? Because I keep getting satisfaction uncovering and learning more about myself, more about the marriage, more about you. Why did you stay? Because there was more and because it always felt right to stay. I can honestly say that I trust my intuition. I said at the beginning of the show how hard it was on me because I would wonder, why didn't I know? And in hindsight, I can answer that question. I didn't know because had I known any time in the past, I wouldn't have had the capacity to go through the process that I have been through now. I would have been too caught up in ego, in anger, and in being right. And I would have been that vindictive, bitter person that I don't want to be. So why didn't I know? Because I was needing to be protected. Source, God, the universe, my intuition protected me and didn't let me know until I was ready to find out. And I'm at peace with that answer. That makes perfect sense to me. Going forward, I have the bandwidth, I have the knowledge, I have the capacity, I have the emotional intelligence to handle anything going forward. I trust my intuition and it feels right to stay. If it ever doesn't feel right to stay, if it ever feels like the story is complete and that I need to move on, I can. If he ever feels like this is not the place for him and that it's time for him to move on and that his story is complete, he can. There is much less control in our marriage now because we are both very aware that staying together is a choice that we make every day, every moment of every day, and that that choice is precious. And that as loving partners, we need to be there for ourselves to live in a place of integrity so that the other person does want to stay, so that we can continue to move forward. And to be so solid in ourselves that if the time ever comes that one of us wants to leave, the other person can be gracefully okay with that and can acknowledge that, yeah, I think that's a wrap. I think this story is complete. I think we've learned and loved and grown from each other. And I think that it's time. And I'm okay with that if it ever happens. But for now, in my heart, 
in my head, in my soul, with every fiber of my being, I do feel like there's more. I feel like I am in this story. I feel like this is a story I want to be in. I am getting satisfaction, both moving forward and when I look back and unearth things. And it feels right to stay. I wanted to explain that so you could understand my process, not to justify. We don't have to justify anything to anyone. But just to validate whatever it is you're feeling inside, whether it's to stay or to go, to be able to trust your intuition. And then also to realize that, yeah, a relationship takes two. And that if your partner is willing to play ball, if your partner is willing to dance the dance, if your partner is willing to go forward, then yes, it's a good place to be if that's what you choose to do. And even if you are really curious and wanting to unearth and want to grow and your partner is unwilling to take a hard look inside, to be vulnerable, to humble themselves to their mistakes, and to keep moving forward, then unfortunately, it's not a game you can stay in. And for me, that's the hardest place is realizing and accepting, accepting unconditionally that it does take two. My husband and I were both very willing to do this, and we both wanted to. But had one of us not been willing, we would have had to pull out. And he has even said a few times that his greatest fear was that I was going to make this all about him, and that I would never take a hard look at myself, and that I would never grow. And that because of that, he would then have to make the hard decision of, is this worth it to stay or not? And he was the cheating one. Which just goes to show how vulnerable we all are, how afraid we all are, how much we all just want to be seen and known and loved for who we are. I am happy always to answer personal questions, to say more, because that's one of my favorite phrases, is there more? If you have more that you want to ask, reach out. Laura, L-O-R-A, at Laura Cheadle, L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com, and I'll answer them on further future shows. Please take some time after this show to think and to process. And I truly do mean reach out if you have questions. I work with women whose lives have been shattered by infidelity and betrayal, who want to use the experience as a catalyst to reclaim their identity, to find their self-worth, and to create a kind of life that they love on their own terms. If you're ready to do that, if you feel stuck and don't know where to turn, if you're feeling bitter and angry and resentful, and that's not you, then reach out. We can hop on a call. We'll talk about your situation. We'll see if we're a good match. And then possibly we can choose to work together. 
My package is a six-month package. We meet together every month. Every month, you get a customized 30-minute hypnosis MP3 that you use every week between our sessions. You get a weekly email with assignments. You get journal prompts. You get movement videos. You get daily meditations. And best of all, you get Voxer support with me. Voxer is a walkie-talkie type app. So every time you're thinking something, you're starting to spiral, you have an aha moment, you just grab your phone and you leave me a message, you leave me a Vox. And then I respond to you like, yes, you're right on, keep moving with that. Or "Mm, listen to that message again. If that was a friend telling you that, how would you answer them? Or I can just reflect back your feelings and what you're going through. Until the first day of summer, this package is on sale. A huge sale. It's only $333 a month for six months. Payable monthly. Easy peasy, pumpkin cheesy, and oh boy, does it change the way you experience your betrayal. Reach out. I can't wait to work with you. These are all of the reasons why. Have an amazing week. And as usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough. Wait a minute. Before you go on, I've got something for you that you are going to love. It's the Sparkle After Betrayal Recovery Guide, a downloadable guide that shows you exactly how to untangle yourself from the past, powerfully reclaim your sexy, and re-choreograph your future one step at a time. The best part? It's free. And downloading it gives you access to our monthly support calls as well. What are you waiting for? Break out of the pain and get your sparkle on today. Go to nakedselfworth.com. That's www.nakedselfworth.com and get your guide today. Tune in next time to Flaunt, find your sparkle, and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com.